Hi, I'm your host, Glenn Johnston, and welcome to Procurement Matters, the podcast series of the New South Wales branch of the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, commonly known as SIPS. In this podcast series, we'll talk to procurement people of interest, ranging from those just starting their career journey through to seasoned leaders. We'll get some insights into what they are doing, what they love about procurement, and a little bit of insight into their personality. It's real procurement people talking with real procurement people. In this episode, we'll be talking with Sarah Collins, Head of Procurement at Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and we're in the head office in Sydney. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Procurement Matters, the podcast that talks to real procurement people. Hey, Glenn. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm a real person. Uh, Welcome to the ABC. And it's nice to do this in person, uh, not having to do it over uh, the phone or This is actually my second meeting today that I had a full contingent of people in person. Yeah, it's nice. It hasn't happened happened for a while. No, exactly. All right, so thanks for your time, um, Sarah. Let's get into some of these uh, questions. So the first one is is about uh, your identity. Mm -hmm. Um, So who are you? Yeah, so Sarah... Obviously, um, I'm born and bred in Sydney, so I've lived here my whole life. My family, uh, immediate family, are all from the Sydney area, though no one actually lives here anymore. They've all sort of done sea changes or tree changes, so I think people actually think I'm from the Port Stephens area, which is my, where my parents retired to, but no, I'm from Sydney. Um, and you know, my background is is Scottish and English. That's where my descendants came out from. My mum's a bit obsessed at the moment doing family trees, so I'm learning all sorts of weird and wonderful facts of who came out when. Um, but yeah, it's any, interesting. Any interesting discoveries you, you can share? Any criminals in the... Of course there uh, were criminals. Of course. <laughs> I think most immigrants who came to Australia back in the 1800s came through convict parentage. Um, look, no, uh, no sort of standouts, just interesting. I did one yeah. of those DNA tests a few years ago and it was interesting too when it shows you there where, where they've um, come from in terms of all the different... I guess feeders into you know the Nordic as well. That was a bit interesting too. But I think most most people of, of Anglo heritage have some sort of Nordic background as well. Um, yeah, with the other uh, Viking and the conquering of, of the mm. worlds and yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. All right, thank you for that. Um, tell us what, what's your favourite book and why? Yeah, so my favourite book is um, The Stand by Stephen King. So I first read that when I was thirteen. Actually, it was the first Stephen King book I ever read. Um, and he wrote it back in the 70s, for anyone who's not familiar with it. Uh, if you're not familiar and you plan to read it, can I suggest you read the unabridged version? It's got an extra 400 pages in it. But I think what got me with it was it was my first ever experience on, on a post-apocalyptic world. And it sounds a little bit, little bit, for a 13-year-old, a little bit of a miserable topic, um, but it's the first time that sort of got me thinking about that what-if and that's something that sort of followed me through my career because I've worked in logistics and supply chain where I had to, I was doing production scheduling originally and it was all that thing about thinking your what if, your contingencies, your plan Bs. And I think that's what the stand got me thinking about, like, well, what would I do? I'm 13, what would I do if the world collapsed and my parents aren't around anymore? And it really just got me thinking. And um, the apocalypse is my favourite genre now and the zombie apocalypse is my favourite subgenre. Oh, very good. That might actually lead into the uh, the next question, and that's about your your favourite movie genre. 
Yeah, it would definitely be sci-fi. Um, yeah. Like most people of my generation, uh, I always sort of cite the Star Wars movies. Um, but, you know, later ones, it's been things like Matrix movies, Lord of the Rings. I love the Lord of the Rings books. Harry Potter, I love those books as well. So I think it's very much that escapism. Um, I'm definitely a fiction fan rather than a non-fiction. And then within the fiction, I like it to really be a, just a completely different world. I'm not one of those people who, who reads your very highbrow fiction or, or watches your very highbrow TV shows. I like the escapism. So really that sci-fi piece um, where it's often quite an alternate you know, something like I said, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, very much an alternate reality as well. Yeah, the escapism. Yeah, that's yeah. what I enjoy when I'm you know, wanting to watch a movie or a TV show. Oh, very good. Now, you and I have known each other for uh, a long time. Um, I don't want to go back to the start of uh, your career, but can you just focus on, say, you know, the past 10-year journey mm -hmm. and how did you end up in your current role? So 10 years ago, 2011, I was still at the University of Sydney. I was in an associate director role there. And from there, I moved to the chief procurement officer role at Roads and Maritime Services, part of Transport for New South Wales. Uh, I know you're obviously at Transport for New South Wales, but obviously we met before that. I think yeah. you were still at Perpetual at that stage when I met you. And yes, yeah, so I spent a number of years there and then um, I've sort of moved into where I am now at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, so. In the last 10 years, I've been in higher education, then I was in New South Wales government, now I'm in Commonwealth government. So you could sort of argue I've been a public servant for 10 years, but they're three quite distinct parts of public service because both the university and where I am now, because the ABC is considered a, a Commonwealth business, yeah. we had a lot more autonomy because procurement rules we were guided by government procurement rules, but they're not mandated for us. So in some ways, the university and where I am now, it's the best of both worlds. You're sort of straddling both the, some of the freedom you have in the private space, but you've also got a lot of the probity and governance rules that you have in the public space. So that's sort of been me the last 10 years. Um, before that, I was more private sector in financial services and FMCG, but I very much think that working in more the government sort of space is something I enjoy. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of how I ended up in my current role, I wasn't actually looking at that stage, but I, I got tapped on the shoulder by a recruiter who just knew that I loved the ABC. Him and I used to share a lot of stories, etc. cetera. Um, he'll know who he is. <laughs> and yeah, he sort of said, look, I can't, I can't put a short list forward here without asking you whether you'd like me to put your name on it. So yeah, that's how I ended up being interviewed for the role. So it was meant to be? It was meant to be. Oh, very good. Okay, this is a, a two-pronged question. Um, what are you passionate about professionally and personally? Professionally, I mean, I think procurement's a great career in terms of the sort of different skill sets that it combines and also the sort of exposure you get to an organisation. And I'm very passionate about bringing in that next generation of procurement professionals. Uh, I, I do some occasional guest lecturing at, at universities and you know I get so excited when those I call them the kiddies even though they're master's students when the kiddies get very excited about procurement and come and ask you questions about you know how do you how do you get into entry-level roles and I know quite a lot of people who who have studied and have been in intern roles and now are fully fledged procurement people and you know love love the profession as well and so I guess it's almost being that matchmaker of of getting people interested in procurement as a career um, and I've got to put this in. Glenn knows it's coming, but I always sort of say that procurement finds you. 
Um, I always coach people on never saying you fell into procurement because it devalues our profession and yeah. it's such a great profession and you get such great exposure to a business and it adds so much value, especially adding a lot of value above and beyond what sales teams can do. Um, I always quite like the return on investment from a lot of our initiatives and, and continuous improvement. And in terms of passionate about personally, I love gardening. Um, I have to admit, just the last 12 or so months where I've been spending a lot more time at home <laughs> means I've probably accumulated a few more plants. But uh, yeah, I just, I just love nature. And I think gardening is, especially people growing their own food, is becoming quite a lost thing. It was certainly something my, my grandparents' generation absolutely they did it. And I know a lot of, a lot of um, migrant cultures, it was a really big thing. And yeah. it makes me a little bit sad that a lot of the, the younger people coming through just aren't interested. Yeah. And it's something I really enjoy. I guess that that's one of the good things coming out of COVID is people are you know, either, either cooking or, or growing food, uh, mm. two interests that have really um, yeah, exploded. Well, I remember at the start of COVID, my lettuce had died, just this lettuce dies. And I went to my local nursery trying to buy more lettuce and they had just completely sold out of all the, the seedlings. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, ow. I don't know when this is a hobby or people think they're going to have to feed themselves. But... <laughs> Yeah, no, that, absolutely. Okay, so your ideal or dream job, mm. can, can you tell us what that is? And, and you can't say what you're currently doing now. No, no, no. For, for many years it was Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to answer people that, like, what would you like to do when you grow up? Vampire Slayer. I, I did not see that one coming. No, no. Look, I, I do wish I'd done something that was more related to sort of gardening or, or animals or something like that something maybe horticultural related or um something more around like marine biology because that you know they're two things i really enjoy and yeah look i probably wouldn't have seen myself ending up at what a lot of people would call a desk job hmm. um so i do wish that i'd gone down that sort of path but it's interesting a, a friend's 15 year old son seemed surprised recently that I hadn't done agriculture or biology at high school. And he goes, but look at your lifestyle. You love animals, your garden, etc. Why did you not do them? And it's just, just not something that was a passion that was encouraged for me to follow. Um, I think he sort of, for some reason, thought you had to go and do boring jobs. <laughs> so that's probably what I would have done, something more in the horticulture space. And given where you're working now, um, you've got one of the great, greatest uh, gardening shows ever. Guarding Australia yeah, with Costa. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can uh, put in a good word for you. Oh, indeed. I, I met Costa at our Christmas party one year and I had been wanting to meet Costa since I'd started at the ABC. And by that stage, I'd been here about a year. And he was there and I finally got brave enough because I'm not great at going and just talking to the, the, the talent because, you know, I just don't like going and approaching <laughs> them and getting into their space. And I went up to Costa and I was having a chat and saying, can I get a photo? And then one of my team came and video, uh, not video bombed, photo bombed it. <laughs> and I'm like... Dude, I've been waiting for 12 months for this photo. Now you're in it. <laughs> but no, cost, Costa was good value. Uh, good. Now, what, what's the best and worst part of your current job? Best and worst part? Um, probably the best part is I've come in to, I guess, at the right time when the ABC has been going through a lot of transformation and a lot of my ideas of what we can do to transform procurement and um, you know, proactively work with the business and help them be outcomes focused and, and not just give procurement uh, the perception of us just being uh, compliance focused. So that's been really good too because 
they, with all the pressure of our program of work coming through, they are trying to look at how we do things in the most streamlined, efficient manner. So it's been, people have been very receptive from that piece and, and just getting to meet people in such a wide range of, of roles and, and the sort of thing we do. A lot of people just assume all I spend is technology. It is our biggest our biggest area, especially the distribution contracts. But, you know, we've run tenders for puppets, like, like oh, yeah. creating puppets. Yeah. And, oh, it was quotation, not, not tender. And all sorts of really unusual things. And because we're a, an Australian-wide com- um, organisation with a huge big footprint out in regional areas too, there's always really interesting stories of who people are and what they're buying. And, and the social side is not a hard sell because as soon as they're out in those regional areas and you start talking to them about using local businesses, the mum and dad companies, the Indigenous businesses, other social enterprises, it's not a hard sell because they're all about being in their regional areas and providing support and information back to that audience. So that's really enjoyable too, that you don't have to do a hard sell there on the social benefits. Uh, The the second part of it, the worst part? Yeah. Look, I work for government and people, when I worked at the University of Sydney, people talked about the glacial speed of university. We have a glacial speed as well. So it's the machinations of government and I get upset when people just assume it's all about bureaucracy but I do sort of understand why things take time um, and you've just got to try not to be too impatient. And I always say to new members in my team, just, you know, please just have patience. You might come in and wonder why we can't move quickly on things. Um, and, you know, this, this is why. So that sort of stuff does get frustrating, but everybody probably encounters it in their jobs. Yeah, I guess it's, um, it's more obvious in, in the public sector um, than, than the private. Does that turn people away uh, from wanting to work in the public sector? I think it does to an extent. Um, but it's interesting that uh, I guess the ABC brand is so strong that they don't get too caught up in that. It's more about the ABC, especially if they are quite passionate on the social side of things. Um, and I certainly don't, don't say people have to have worked in one sector or the other, but I like them to have an awareness of the difference between the two sectors. Uh, I think I said at the start of this interview that uh, public sector is where I do get more enjoyment and that's because I feel, because we are spending taxpayers' money and you feel you can see those tangible benefits. You know, I've got a background of having worked in FMCG and whilst I used to get excited seeing the products on the shelf, I probably get a bit more excited now you know, seeing a, a completed road that I know I had some sort of involvement in that project or yeah. just things like that. Uh, or even just understanding, I mean I didn't work directly for Sydney Trains, I was in transport for New South Wales, but knowing just a little bit more of the the going-ons in the background at Sydney Trains helped me have a much greater appreciation for our rail network and some of the complications and things like that too. So I think in government, understanding some of the pressures they face but also some of the great work that maybe the public aren't seeing sort of gives me pride as well. Yeah, no, very good. Now, you're, you're a great leader and, uh, and, and role model. A lot of people look up to you. But, but from your perspective, what do you think are the most... Uh, important attributes of leadership? Being authentic and being compassionate. Um, People want someone they can relate to who they also know is going to be genuine in terms of the way they deal with them and and considerate, etc. And if you don't have a leader that you feel is a good role model or, or you feel sort of walks the talk, it can be really hard. So that's something I try to I guess 
model myself on and I know, I, I know your next question is actually going to be about role models so I'll probably just steal the next question a little bit here I also model myself on what I don't want to be so yeah. I've seen other leaders they may have just been a, a someone I've observed may have been someone who's my manager and I remember how I felt in certain circumstances reporting to them so I try and not so much be the opposite but I try and consider that sort of thing in terms of how I then manage other people and and making sure that I'm not becoming like that leader because there were shortfalls there or, or areas that frustrated me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and trying to make sure my team also feel they can have an open conversation with me the other way too um, because nothing should be a surprise. Like you shouldn't be getting to the point of doing a performance appraisals and somebody know, had no idea they've got blind spots. Um, you know, you've been coaching them through that and trying to address it, etc. cetera, um, all through the performance period yeah so if you're ever sort of happen to have that that conversation that side sidelines somebody i don't think you've necessarily been as good a leader as you could have been i appreciate that's not always avoidable yeah um, especially when it's to do with things like redundancies and stuff like that but when it comes to performance um, and their strengths and weaknesses that's something that you shouldn't just talk to someone about once a year have you had to change your leadership style given the um, quick change to flexible and, and slash re, re, uh, remote working? Yeah, to an extent, yes. I mean, I've, I've had teams and myself as well where we've ad hoc worked from home for years, so it's not as if I'm not used to people uh, being in remote locations. And where I am now, I've got team members in multiple states. So we always, even when most of us were, were in the office, we still had people who had to dial in. So. Yeah. we've always had that consideration of how we, we were inclusive and I think probably the main thing was when we, we moved to the sort of the work from home arrangement I also had new team members starting so I was trying to onboard people who would basically only come into an office to get a laptop yeah. so one of the things I was really conscious of from almost day one was keeping people engaged so we made sure that we, we used to have our, our team meetings once a fortnight you know making sure they were moved to, to weekly I signed everybody buddies and encouraged people to do check-ins every morning I went through a phase for probably a good six months last year sending a morning quiz or a crossword or something out to people you know we put themes for our team meetings and you know, awarded a bit of an honorary prize who had who was the best dressed or whatever it was. Yeah. We'd have drop-ins where it was just an informal catch-up or lunch together, and and that was really about recognizing that these some of these people are struggling to pivot into a completely different work environment. Um, they may be home all day by themselves. The new people are not getting a chance to get to know anyone. You know, the only meetings they have are, are very much just you know business purpose. They're not having those incidental conversations. So I made a real point of doing that. And I remember a few weeks into it, I was sitting in our crisis management meeting and I, I just sort of asked, what are other people doing? It was just, there was a few, but as a general rule, people just weren't doing anything. People, and I remember someone saying, oh, we're all too busy. It's all head down, thumbs up. We're all too busy for that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, this is potentially gonna go on for a long time. We need to really set that pace and look after people's mental health and keep them engaged and still make it fun for them. Yeah. Um, it's it look it has dropped off to an extent. We still have our the weekly team meetings. We still have our Monday morning catch ups, um, but people are starting to go into the office one or two days a week and having a bit more face to face. So it's probably eased off a little bit. That's probably the main thing I I found I changed, and having a little bit more patience too. You know people people had suddenly needing to homeschool things like that. 
I just needed to be more flexible in terms of what hours people worked and give them that permission to, to switch off during the day because otherwise people were working 10, 12-hour days as well. Which is not sustainable. No, it's not. And it's, it's still creeping into now that people are returning to the office, I'm still observing it the days they're in the office too. So it's, it's something we've really got to keep an eye on as leaders as well. Yeah. Mm. No, it's good to have that awareness. Uh, well done. You did touch on this uh, question a little bit earlier. So do you have role models or mentors? I do. I do. I wouldn't say I have a formal mentor at the moment. I've certainly been through mentoring schemes and, and um, coaching schemes, etc. Uh, it was interesting. I did have a, a coach assigned to me when I first joined Roads and Maritime Services and the coach told me I was in denial about being a public servant. I've got to stop identifying as a procurement professional and identify as a public servant. I'm like, I'm not identifying as a public servant. I'm a procurement professional. I just happen to work in the public service. Yeah. So that was that was an interesting an interesting eye opener in terms of uh, uh, how people sort of identified. But in terms of you know mentors, I've had a mix of, of people who have been in formal mentoring programs or just people who I've informally sort of had as a mentor where I've bounced ideas off them. Um, and I think it's very important if you mentor people, it's good for you to have um, to be a mentee as well to sort of see it from both sides. Yep. Uh, the role models piece. I don't really have a good answer for that in terms of an individual. Uh, but as I said earlier, I certainly know what I don't think is a good role model. Yeah. Um, but in terms of a good role model, really somebody who, who people find genuine and like to be around um, because that really inspires other people in terms of how they, they sort of bring their best to a situation if they like to be around the people they're with. And that role model doesn't have to be someone who's more senior. It could just be a peer yeah. or someone in a team they enjoy working with. So I think it's thinking a little bit laterally in terms of what a role model is. Yeah, I and mean, everyone lives their own life. You don't have to copy a role model, but it's nice to pick up some attributes. Or, or it something. is, yeah. it is. And it's it's certainly something as you get older as well, you, you, you find that your views change as well in terms of who you you put up on those pedestals yeah because sometimes the, the people you put up on pedestals previously that just comes crashing down and you realize that they're not the not the person you thought they were so I'm probably a little bit more judgmental now in terms of before I'll before I will be in awe of someone I, I like to vet it a little bit more like hmm, is that is that all for show or do you genuinely have substance so yeah which is good to have those filters mm. and you're right I think that comes with a bit of maturity as well. Oh, it does. And I've, I remember in past lives being told, oh, you know, for you to go get anywhere in this organisation, we think we, you need to use so-and-so as your role model. Mm. And I'm talking about peers and, and, you know, roughly the same age as me, roughly the same job grade because, you know, blah, they're on, they're on the trajectory for senior management. And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> if that's a trajectory to senior management, that's not the attributes I want to be known for. And there's still one particular person in, in, um, in my past, I won't say where I worked, who I, I had that pressure on me that this was someone I had to model myself by. And I sort of thought, are you kidding? Every now and then, probably maybe once every couple of years, I just look them up on LinkedIn and remind myself how far they have not progressed in their career. Yeah. And it is, it is someone who's now a middle-aged white man. Yep. So it is the demographics and culture that does, you know, has historically progressed a lot faster than someone of, of you know, my, my age and gender. And I just find that one a little bit reassuring sometimes that, yes, I did it my own way and I've actually done better than you. Yeah, absolutely. You're a standout. There's no doubt about that. Now, tell us, um, 
what's what's the future of procurement or, or the next big thing to affect or disrupt us? Well, we got disrupted last year. I've, yeah. I've, I've said to people for years when you're looking at things like category management and supplier management, it's like, just please, just consumables, things like office supplies and janitorial, it's not important. Set and forget, put systems in place, suppliers, whatever, and then obviously COVID hit us last year and all these procurement people are running around trying to buy hand sanitizer and toilet paper and I'm like, <laughs> oh, we've come so far, we've come so far and yet we've circled back around. <laughs> so I wouldn't have picked that as a big thing to, to disrupt. So it's a little bit of a hard one. To, to say and I do think in some ways we have gone and saved the day in some areas with procurement in terms of keeping supply chains going and, and businesses open and things like that yeah. which has been great and we've procurement people have had a lot of credit for that and we're still very much in demand in terms of um, supply of, of good people versus the jobs um, which, is, which is great because I know there's a lot of industries where it's you know people are struggling with work now but on the flip side, I think we have devalued ourselves a little bit because we had to jump in and do the stuff that we were trying to move ourselves away from strategically. So I'm hoping the next big thing is that we get back involved in the strategic side of things. And to me, the next big thing, I think, you know, AI, I, I don't know where or what it is going to be, but I really do think it's going to be AI related in terms of the next big thing. And I think we just need to be quite conscious of what procurement roles can be automated and what ones we still need to be doing. So very much anything on the relationship side is still very important. So things like um, supplier relationship management, contract management, things like that. Yeah. But I think we have to be very wary of what sort of stuff can be taken over by AI. Uh, just you know, the, the pulling together tenders and doing evaluations and stuff like that. Um, what is the future in that space? I'm hoping it'll be a future that automates a lot of that stuff so we don't have to get dragged down into it. But if that's what people sort of view themselves as, as just a sourcing specialist, we could find that we, we may have far less roles in that space in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's something uh, we've got to be wary of, not to um, do ourselves out of a job, mm. um, that they could be automated. But don't uh, worry, you just work in an industry that's still very much behind the eight ball, and that sort of stuff will be years <laughs> away. <laughs> Good on you. Okay, um, what advice uh, would you have for people entering into a career of... In, in procurement? Definitely get exposure or experience in as many categories as you can. Get experience doing direct and indirect and get experience working in public and private because I think that will set you up for all sorts of senior sort of future leadership roles because you've experienced so many different types of things. You could turn around and say, well, that doesn't mean you're a, you're a jack of all trades, specialty of none. Mm. But I know where I am now because I've worked public, I've worked private, I've done directs and I've done indirects. Um, and because I've done all sorts of categories, it also means in terms of me managing people uh, and being in a senior role, I've chances are I've had some experience in, in the category or the industry someone's talking about, even if it's only small. And it, that very much helps get your credibility that you actually know what you're talking about. Um, I mean, I always say if you can if you can hold your own in a conversation with your IT teams or your your um, construction teams, yeah. you're probably you're probably good. You're doing okay. You're doing yeah. okay. So yeah. to have had experience in both those areas, but that that's I mean I know that's very very broad and um, it may be hard for some people uh, to get a chance to move into those different areas. But that's sort of a, a thing for me. Don't just sort of don't just spend you know eight years being a specialist IT procurement person in the public sector because it will very much limit your future career opportunities. Yeah. And I think as well the um, getting your professional qualifications too. Um, one of the things in government, and 
sorry, all the government people probably shoot me on this one, but government does push a lot of its own qualification programs. I would do more open qualifications over that, whether you do your professional qualifications through the likes of SIPs, whether you're doing something like a, a master's degree in, in, in supply chain or logistics, something along that. I think you're better to focus on that because I think the, the government line of, of um, qualifications is pigeonholing you to only being able to work in government as well. Yeah. And people entering procurement, um, just there's lots of great jobs. Um, and just ask. I mean, just have your ear to the ground and, and give it a go. Don't don't feel that you aren't qualified for something because, trust me, something like contract management, most people doing contract management don't have a clue how to manage contracts and it's tacked onto their day job. Yeah. So why would you not be able to put your hand up and say, well, I'll do this as a full-time job. You've got as much experience as that person who's doing it as part of their day job. Yeah. Um, so why not put your hand up to do it as a permanent job? Yeah, some, some great advice there. That's excellent. Okay, um, so we're coming to the end of our, our yarn. Um, so tell me, where do you think you'll be in five years' time? So I got asked this question probably about five years ago, and my it was actually a, a, a Hayes were doing a DNA of a CPO. They were doing a DNA series. They yeah. did CIO and CFO, and I got asked this, and I said consulting, and I look back at that now, and I, I did briefly try a consulting model but I ended up just working on transport projects so I sort of rolled it all into one in terms of my time at transport yeah. and I I had thought consulting was going to be for me in terms of all of my experience but I realised that I still enjoy working for an organisation and having the pride and passion of, of that organisation that I work for and, and your product and how people uh, get to enjoy what you produce and yeah I think I, I, I couldn't tell you whether I'll be at the ABC still in five years the, the standard answer there is most people have worked here 20 years um, so I've only been here two and a half so <laughs> theoretically I should still be at the ABC yeah but I think I'll be working for an organization I don't think I'd be consulting so I think I've changed my mind on that answer yeah. um, probably something still if it's not the ABC something that's still around the government not-for-profit space because it's the area I enjoy the most um, but I think I definitely will be working a hybrid between working in the office and working at home uh, because I don't think I'll ever go back to that, that model that we used to do you know, 18 yeah. months ago. Yeah, yeah, the five, uh, five days it, a week. Yeah, and I yeah. think having that, that, that work-life balance. So that's going to be something, if, if I did choose to, to move organisations, that's something I would definitely look for in the future because I really don't think anyone can turn around and say, nope, your role must be done in the office because we've all just proven... It absolutely can be done out of the office in, in the sense of what we do. Yeah. So yeah, even leading teams, I mean, I've, I've recruited people, I've performance managed people, all that sort of stuff remotely, and it's been fine. And you've onboarded people? Onboarded is... people, yeah, off-boarded people. Yeah. So, yeah, that would be sort of me, I guess, in five years' time. I mean, it would be nice to be starting to think about working part-time and not having to not having to get up and, and go into the office every day and spend more time gardening. <laughs> but realistically, I probably won't be. Yeah. And yeah. I will hopefully finally be vaccinated for COVID. <laughs> no, sorry. I joked, I joked with all the vaccination delays that it might, it'll be 2023 before we're all vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's uh, hope it happens quicker than that. Oh, no, I've got an appointment for my, my vaccination now, so the end, the end is near. But, um, yeah, I do, look, I do hope that in five years' time we, we have some level of... of normalcy as well i'm not saying get back to where it was but whatever the new normal is yeah um that we've worked out what that is and that it's it's working for people oh, good sarah collins 
thanks for sharing part of your life with us and offering some valuable insights. I hope people enjoyed it and yeah, I hope you, uh, you're all inspired to watch a bit more ABC content if you don't already. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that certainly, I've always watched a lot of ABC my entire life, uh, but it's certainly something I encourage my team to, to uh, at least partly consume some of our content because the, the ABC has done some great stuff in terms of, of um, as well as great programming, but also royal commissions and all sorts of stuff it's led to. So, you know, we've got a lot of pride in where we work and, and yeah, it's something I always come to work and I say, did you watch so-and-so on TV last night?